Our first lesson for this evening from Romans, the fifth chapter. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We write. Gospel from St. Mark, the eighth chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others say one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of men. And he called to him, and he, and he called him to him, he called to him the crowd with the disciples, and said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to Thee, O Christ. Continue. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. Again, I want to invite you to open the Bibles, your own, or if you're using the Pew Bible, to Psalm number 22. I want to take a close look at this important psalm. 
I know it's number 22, and I'm sure most of you are very familiar with Psalm 23. Its beautiful imagery is, is uh, recognized by people all over the world, even people who don't necessarily believe in God. You could say the theme of Psalm 23 is simply the Lord saves from death. And that's also the same theme of Psalm 22 that comes right before it. However, Psalm 22 adds another important thing. It also foretells how God saves us from sin and death by pointing us to the Messiah. And it's for that reason that this psalm is often referred to in our Lenten hymns, and it is the appointed psalm for Good Friday. You could say, maybe in a little bit more detail, the theme of Psalm 22 is that in the midst of suffering and death in this world because of sin, the Lord saves, and we praise Him for it. Psalm 22, look at the opening words there. First of all, if you're using the Pew Bible, then the bold print, Why Have You Forsaken Me? That's an addition that the editor has added, a little title to the psalm. But in Hebrew, we begin with, to the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. David lived a thousand years before Jesus. So this psalm is 3,000 years old. And God made sure that these words would be preserved for us. But the one thing he didn't preserve, and it's worthwhile noting, is the melody. It's referenced the doe of the dawn, but we don't know what that is or what it actually sounded like in David's day or in Jesus' day. And it's just a reminder to us that God puts his word before us, but that word is picked up and carried by many different people of different languages and different cultures, and the music and rhythms that we may put to these words might vary from place to place and from time to time. Verses 1 and 2 begin with a lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. David felt forsaken as he's penning the words to this psalm. And these are the words that Jesus quotes himself from the cross. They come right in the middle of Jesus' famous seven sayings or seven words from the cross. These most likely are the words that Jesus is saying as his pain and suffering is becoming unbearable. And it points us to the real depth of Jesus' suffering. Many times when the suffering of Jesus is portrayed, the emphasis is put on the flesh, the scourging, the nails and the hands and feet, the thorn on the head and all of that, which certainly is painful and suffering terribly. But other people have suffered like that as well in this world. But no one has suffered in the way Jesus suffered on our behalf. You see, for David, this is a rhetorical question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, God does not forsake his people. That's a promise that we find all over the place in the Bible. But this psalm is a messianic psalm. It's pointing to something else, not just to us, but to God's Son and to the Messiah himself. And for Jesus, 
the words of this psalm, the opening words were not at all rhetorical. They were real. For Jesus was forsaken for us, abandoned for us. He felt the full weight of our sin in his own soul on that cross. And so this is the lament of laments. And the one we are spared from having to say ourselves, and David himself as well, as we shall see, because Jesus went through this for us. Continuing, verses 3 to 5, yet, now notice this, David does this throughout this psalm. He swings from despair, then back again to hope. Yet you are holy, enthroned in the praises, the hallelujahs of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. The gods of men throughout history have always been powerful gods. Thor of the northern Europeans, Zeus of the Greeks, and even modern men's gods, government, science, reason, these things are admittedly powerful, but they are not holy. And this is what makes the God of the Bible so different from all other gods and this religion so different from all other religions. God is holy. And it's because of that holiness that we praise him. And as David says, he is enthroned. He sits, he dwells among the praises of Israel. It is a beautiful thing for us to think about how God dwells in that way and how David again remembers that and makes this swing from lament to the praise. And now as we go on to verses 6 through 8, again back to the sadness. I am but a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. These are the words of David reminding us of our weakness as human beings. And worse than that, the mockery of the world that hates God and hates those who follow God. One of my favorite sermons that I remember from my days at the seminary, in fact, I think it's the only title of a sermon uh, of all that I remember, by Professor Thomas Manteuffel. And the title of the sermon was, the wormological sayings of the Bible. There are several of them, actually. Job says that men are maggots and worms. Isaiah said, fear not, you worm, Jacob. This is the way the Lord recognizes all of us as human beings. And it's not something that we like to uh, boast about, not something the world certainly likes to think about. The world loves muscles and beauty and strength. But God points to our frailty and to our weakness, which will eventually overtake all of us no matter what. But again, worse than that, David also recognizes the hatred of the world. In our adult Bible study last Sunday, I showed the class a map of Christian persecution around the world. And it's shocking to see in that map almost half of the countries of this world make 
following Christ difficult in some countries to the point of great violence, in others maybe less, but nevertheless still difficult. Jesus died at the hands of a world that worships the devil, as Paul said, and therefore hates God and hates those who follow him. Well, we're going to swing back again, 9 to 11. Yet, yet, he moves from despair back to hope, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help me. In my eighth grade Bible class, we just finished our study of holy baptism. And in that study of baptism, we talked about why we baptize people of all nations, no matter what their race, no matter what their economic or intellectual status may be, no matter what their age may be. And why do we baptize infants? One of the questions that immediately comes up is, can infants believe? Well, this verse very powerfully says they can believe. Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse 39, the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Faith, people get this confused all the time, faith is not our work. Faith is not something we do ourselves, but it's something that God does in us through His Word and through the Holy Spirit. And David powerfully acknowledges that as he recognizes the foundation of faith, a foundation from which he can pray to the Lord. And it's a firm foundation because it is God's foundation, God's gift to us. Now the longest part of the psalm, verses 12 to 21. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me. They are like a ravaging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay, on, you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of wild oxen. Notice the verbs beginning in verse 12. The, beginning especially in verse 11. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none who can help me. And then skipping down as well to 19. You are my help. Come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword. Save me from the mouth of the lion. The religion of the Bible is a religion of salvation, not a religion of rewards. The religion of the Bible is a religion for people who recognize they need to be saved, who recognize the evils within 
as well as the evils without. And in the middle of all of this comes a vivid description of the suffering that David is either going through himself or he is thinking about. But the most amazing part of it is either way, it points prophetically to the suffering of Jesus of Nazareth on the cross. People staring at him, dividing his garments by lot, raging animals, piercing hands and feet. No one can read that without also recognizing what happened on Good Friday. David trusted in the Lord. Jesus trusted in the Lord. And because Jesus trusted in the Lord so faithfully, even though his suffering was so much more than that of David's, so much more than that of you or me, and it was his greatest work accomplished for us because he did it, David also could. And because he did it, we also can. And that brings us to the last of the psalm, verses 22 to 31. I will tell of your name. Notice the swing back again now to praise. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him. They shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Twice in that section, David mentions praising the Lord in the assembly. And that's referring to the church. That's why you and I come to church every Saturday or Sunday. We come for these three reasons. To pray for salvation, as David has already done in this psalm. To receive salvation, as David received it and as you and I receive it through Jesus Christ. And finally, to praise the Lord for our salvation. Verse 29 in particular points to the resurrection. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow down all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Whenever Jesus spoke of his death and his crucifixion, he also followed it up immediately with the promise of the resurrection. We heard it in Mark's gospel in the eighth chapter. He said, I will die and be crucified, but on the third day I will rise. In our times of trouble, in our times of hope, in our times of salvation, God is always present with us. Though evil is very real as this psalm and as all of human life and experience tell us, nevertheless, so is God's love, God's salvation for us 
in his son Jesus. Amen. Please rise.